0: The views expressed on the Kibbutz are solely those of the guests and do not reflect the opinions of the host or its sponsors. Thanks. Just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, If you live in the Los Angeles area, we'll be doing a live Kibbutz show from, where else? The Kibbutz Room at Cantor's Deli. It's going to be December 13th. Building on the episode you're about to hear, this will be a night at the Catskills Cat Catskills Kibbutz, if you will. And we'll be announcing the guests soon, so check our Twitter feed, at KibbutzPod. It is shaping up to be a pretty stellar lineup. Also, we promised we'd read your comments on our show, and we got some great emails from our first episode. Our atheism episode did stir a lot of conversation, much of it on Twitter, and one listener, all the way from New Zealand, his name is Shane Lust, uh, he wrote us a really thoughtful email, and we wanted to share just an excerpt from it. Primarily in response to our guest David Silverman, Shane writes, quote, "...I have a major issue with forcing an identity on people or denying them the identity that they are comfortable with. This is something we often see from right-wing religious people who would deny a transgender woman the right to call herself a woman." For me, the Jewish people are an ethnic group, or perhaps put better, a number of ethnic groups, with a shared mythology. Belief in that shared mythology is not a qualifying deal-breaker either, in fact or theologically speaking. Would an Australian Aborigine be denied his or her cultural membership because he or she didn't believe in the dream time? I've been told twice in the last three months that I'm not a Jew. Once by a shrimp-eating Jew because I eat bacon, and once by David Silverman because I don't believe in God. I guess it's easier to make up your own narrow definition of something and then reject all that doesn't fit within that. Jewish identity is far more complicated and nebulous. To those who were born to Jewish parents but have decided to disengage from a Jewish identity, I have no problem with it. I respect your right to define yourself. I just ask that you afford me the same courtesy. Thanks, Shane. That was great. Also, as a bacon and shrimp-eating Jew, I very much appreciated it. So if you want to join the conversation, we are on Twitter at KibitzPod or email us at kibitzpod at gmail.com. And now, on with the episode.
1: theme. The Grossinger Hotel takes great pride in presenting Tito Puente and his world-famous orchestra.
2: It is always a delight to come to the Catskill Mountains. I love driving up here, but not in the summertime. (laughs)
3: Because
2: in the summer there's an anti-Semite who works for the highway department. He lives in Goshen, New York. Every year on June 30th, he pulls out 300 orange rubber cones. They squeeze the Jews into one lane. They do nothing to the highway. Labor Day, they take the cones away.
0: The Catskills. The Borscht Belt, the Jewish Alps. If you go, take my wife, please. Please. The Catskills is an area in upstate New York that for much of the 20th century was the epicenter of Jewish family vacation life. I've always been fascinated by the Catskills as a quintessential slice of Jewish American life that I unfortunately never got to visit.
3: The list of comedians who performed or got their start in the Catskills is mind boggling. Boggling. Milton Berle, Jack Benny, Danny Kay, Dan, are these names ringing a bell? Red Buttons.
0: I have no idea who Mel Brooks. Okay, I know who he is.
3: Billy Crystal, Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles, and Joan Rivers, my heart of hearts. At the top of the episode, we heard Freddie Roman, known as the king of the one-liners, who's now the dean of the New York Friars Club. We'll hear more from him
0: later. Oh, we will. Uh, But what were Jews doing vacationing in the countryside of upstate New York?
3: And why do they need so much entertaining while on vacation?
0: How and why did one hotel get basketball player Wilt Chamberlain to be a bellhop?
3: Who was trying to put baby in the corner? And why?
0: <sighs> and why did it all come crashing down? Oh. I know, so sad. Hi, I'm Dan
3: Crane. And I'm Jessica Chaffin. And you're listening to The Kibitz, the podcast about Jewish ideas and culture. So get ready for a little song.
0: A little dance. And a little
3: seltzer down, down your, your pants. pants.
0: As we head upstate to the Catskills on this episode of The, the Kibitz. <laughs> What about some of the? I mean, were you a fan of any? I mean, you're you're a professional comedian. I, I, would say. I
3: am. <laughs> I'm just barely a professional I'm just barely a comedian. But I am. When I have to say, when I look at that, I think also Madeline Kahn played a little bit in the Catskills. Oh yeah, skills. probably yeah. Um, I'd like to hope that she did. She's one of my all-time faves. Love Madeline. But Kahn. I look at that list and I think, oh, to be a guest at Grossingers, it would have been pretty great. I well, mean, to yeah. see these guys on that stage every night. The those are the cornerstones of of probably modern comedy, but modern Jewish comedy, certainly.
0: Absolutely. They, I mean, just,
3: they established the rhythms and the jokes. Yeah. We're just retelling them now. I know. Yeah. What about you? Have you? Did you ever go to a Jewish retreat?
0: <sighs> no. Uh, did you I? You grew
3: up in NorCal?
0: No, I grew up in Denver. Oh. I know.
3: <laughs> My God. Were you the, <laughs> the only one?
0: Uh, I was, you know... I, there was like 10 juice 10 yeah.
3: that explains a lot does it yeah
0: what does it explain
3: just what's missing <laughs>
0: Yeah. <Exactly.
3: laughs> you're like a steak that was only only salted and not peppered oh that's so sad <laughs> now you're getting plenty of pepper now, now i'm getting now yeah. spice yeah. in
0: my life yeah yeah You know, I think now if you just drive around the Catskills, you can see this sort of these decrepit old hotels. And And there's uh, a
3: photo book that just came out. Yeah. And so
0: that's we've got uh, the the woman who made that. She's on the show. So she's coming up. Let's let's introduce them all right now. uh, Why don't we
3: just do the show without doing it? Okay, Which is what we just did.
0: All right. Okay. great. So, all (laughs) right. Let's hear from uh, Ian Rosenberg and Caroline Laskow, who they made this great documentary called Welcome to Kutcher's. And some of the audio that you're going to hear on this episode is actually borrowed from their documentary. We have
3: permission. We
0: got permission Yeah I highly recommend Checking it out So why Why do you think Jews started Vacationing there In the first place
4: Ian, you want to take that? Sure. Um, we have, we know the answer. There is an answer to that.
5: Um, well, it, tell it me. started out um, with uh, a wealthy Jewish philanthropist, De Hirsch. And he wanted to um, help uh, Jewish Americans and help decrease anti-Semitism and, and to provide a financial leg up for um, poor immigrant Jews. And one way he thought that could happen was to um, fund basically land grants um, to Jewish Americans uh, in the Catskills to make them true Americans by having them be farmers. Um, And perhaps it's part of the Jewish joke that the land that they got is really horrible for farming. Um, The Catskill grounds just don't work that well. Um, And so what happened was these farms were struggling, but there was also around the same time um, tuberculosis epidemics in in New York City, and people were being sent to the mountains for the clean air. And so people would go up to these farms because their aunt worked there or, you know, they had a relative, a distant uh, cousin or a friend. And so these farms started taking in boarders. And at first, the only entertainment, as one of the um, uh, staff uh, members, uh, Larry Strickler says, was uh, the only entertainment was watching them milk the cow. Um, But then these um, informal boarding situations turned into hotels.
3: And here's comedian Freddie Roman.
2: Resorts up here in the Catskill Mountains were so important to the Jewish experience in America because prior to the, to the Jewish hotels opening up in Sullivan and Ulster counties, I mean, there were ads in the New York papers for a resort, let's say, in the Adirondacks. And at the t- tail end of the ad, it would say, no Jews or no Hebrews may apply. And there was nowhere for Jews that could, wanted to get away to get away.
0: This is director Ian Rosenberg again.
5: And so wealthy, um, Jewish Americans were being turned down from the hotels, um, upstate among other places. And so you have both, um, because they weren't welcome anywhere else. And because this was an opportunity to both be American, um, but yet still be with your own people, um, and, and have those customs as Mrs. Kutcher, uh, Mrs. Helen Kutcher uh, used to say, most of our guests aren't kosher, but they like to know that we run a kosher hotel. um, (laughs) And so um, it was not a, it was from its very beginning, it was not a religious center. It was a community experience.
6: My name is Marissa Scheinfeld. I'm a photographer and an author.
0: Marissa made a beautiful book of essays and photographs of what the Catskills resorts look like today. It's called
6: The Borscht Belt, Revisiting the Remains of America's Jewish Vacation Land.
3: She grew up in the Catskills and explains how Jews ended up vacationing there.
6: So around the 1920s, um, many farms and small little boarding houses and hotels that already existed up there because it had this access to the city that lots of writers and fishermen and artists were already going to. um, It became known um, as this Jewish destination. And by the 1950s, there were over 500 hotels and 50,000
0: bungalow colonies. All of a sudden, um, Jews could go away and have vacations. It's not a thing they did before. That's Phil Brown, president of the Catskills Institute at Brown University. They have their own. I mean, the Catskills has its own institute and it's at Brown. So, wow, pretty fancy. In the old country, um, you had to be fairly well off to have a vacation. Jews came to this country. They were, um, for the most part, except for the earlier Uh, German-Jewish immigration from the middle of the 19th century, the late 19th century, Poles, Lithuanians, Russians, uh, Romanians, these were not people who had a lot of money. They were working as, as garment industry workers. They were working, if they did very well, as public school teachers. They didn't have a lot of money, and they had no experience with going away on vacation. The 50s and 60s was when you had the largest number of hotels in bungalow colonies operating at the same time, about 500 of each. So it was monumental, it was gigantic, and it just, just stretched continuously.
3: This is Eddie Portnoy, academic advisor and exhibitions curator at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research in New York.
1: There, there were a number of Jewish farmers in the Catskills, and they began to rent out rooms in the summers to, you know, guests from the city. Around the turn of the 20th century, they, uh, they found that they needed entertainment and so the first form of entertainment was on someone's farm. They staged they staged a mock wedding, uh, and it was a drag wedding. It was the 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 groom was a woman and the and the bride was a man. Uh, they had klezmorim, they had, you know, wedding musicians. Uh, they had a master of ceremonies who, who, in Yiddish, is known as a badchen, uh, who's really a, it, it's a Jewish tradition known as a wedding jester uh, who makes fun of the the bride and groom and the guests. Uh, And so this person became kind of the master of ceremonies uh, and eventually developed into something later called the tumler, uh, which became a standard figure in Catskills Resorts, who was really a social director. But these mock weddings uh, became very popular. And when Yiddish theater actors heard about them, they said, hey, you know, we can't have amateurs performing. We, you know. We're professionals. We need to perform. So they kind of took over this, this type of performance, and um, you know, as more and more Jews started to go to the Catskills as their main, re- you know, vacation resort, uh, these you know, entertainment become became a really, really significant factor. It's I, you know, the, I, mo- I don't... the
3: mock wedding thing is so funny to me. It's like the original Tony and Tina's wedding.
1: Yeah, it kind, of, it sort of is. It, it's uh, except it's you know, it's like uh, Irwin and yeah. Sadie.
3: Yes, uh, I've seen those. Here's Ian Rosenberg again, one of the co-directors of the Welcome to Kutcher's documentary, talking about mock weddings that may have been the genesis of Catskills Entertainment.
5: Uh, we don't have any documentation of that happening at Cutcher's but one of the things that that they did that was sort of similar to that, the sort of pageant and entertainment, um, was they did do skits Um, and um, and, uh, in fact, we have a photo of Will Chamberlain performing um, in one of those uh, staff and and guest skits. Um, That's not a mock wedding, but it is um, pretty entertaining.
0: Your sports commentator drove up to New York's Catskill Mountains to look in on tall timber, basketball timber in the person of Wilton Chamberlain. He watches a bellhop, this seven foot one inch, 17 year old giant. So, yeah, Will Chamberlain, one of the great basketball players in NBA history, was a bellhop at Kutcher's.
3: Unbelievable.
0: Here's director Caroline Lasco again.
4: Each of those resorts was trying to make a name for themselves to distinguish themselves. You know, the Concord versus Griswold versus Cutcher versus the Nevelly. They all wanted to have their thing, you know. And for Milton, he wanted to have a great um, recreational sports program. And so part of that was he got Red Auerbach to be the athletic director in the summers, and um, and because of that, you know, he was very hooked in to. The rising young basketball stars. And so Wilt was someone who came onto his radar. And Milton and Helen would bring in these great athletes and they would be on the staff and work at Cutchers. And then they would, you know, on Wednesday night, have these informal but very competitive pickup basketball games.
3: It was all part of the entertainment, but the most popular form of entertainment in the Catskills was stand up comedy.
1: Of course. The the comedy aspect is interesting because it's um, it's so central to the Catskills. Mel Brooks said that his first job as a comedian was as pool comic, uh, and <laughs> it, you know it, it's it, what he did was he he put on an overcoat and carried two briefcases, walked into the pool of uh you know kuchers or grossingers or wherever he was he walked into the pool area screaming i can't take it anymore my business has gone belly up i can't take it i can't take it he'd walk up the, up up the diving board and jump off the diving board into the pool with all you know with his briefcases and overcoat on
0: um did he ever did he ever say the joke this place is a real dive oh <laughs> sorry <laughs>
3: Dan's feeling self-conscious about his jokes now because he, he has a, a comedian as I know, a co-host. I've got a
1: professional. But
3: I hope he never stops telling them. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, but you, you know, you have to wonder about a people that require something called a pool comic. You know, th- that's like... I that. have
3: to wonder why I don't spend more time with people like that.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> how, it's true. How
3: great is that? I mean, think, no, it's amazing. think it's, about it's a, fleeing the city to get a little fresh air with your children And everywhere you go, something fantastic could happen. So like you're at the pool and then a basically a jester comes out of nowhere. It's I mean, it's almost as good as somebody spritzing you or bringing you like a mini smoothie. Like what if, you know, and then a comedian comes out of uh, out of the works, uh, you know, the woodwork rather. And here comes a fresh joke for you.
1: Right. And it's, we get, we paid
3: our money. We want to be entertained. You're getting your money's worth.
1: Right. And, uh, and you know, all of the, you know, uh, you know, virtually every comedian of, you know, the 40s, 50s and 60s worked the Catskills. Um, you know, anyone you could name, uh, you know, Mel Brooks, um, Buddy Hackett, uh, Alan King. Actually, a lot of these people went on to become, you know, really important figures in show business. So, for instance, um, Don Hartman uh who was a social director he was the tumbler at grossingers he was he became the president of paramount pictures uh dory sherry uh who was also grossingers uh he became the head head of uh metro goldwyn mayer um you know this was sort of like you know this sort of petri dish of of entertainment and comedy uh that uh really sort of has no equal it's
0: just one of the ways in which jews got to control show business
1: well, you know, this was sort of their own little their own little universe. Um, yeah. You know, you you sometimes hear you know old comedians say that that the Catskills was sort of like college for comedy.
5: You know, the the rise uh, or the creation of what we know as American stand up comedy, but really um, Jewish American stand up comedy, all started happening in the Catskills because that was one of the premier uh, training grounds for um, for the sort of entertainment on the coast.
4: Uh, when we premiered at the New York, New York Jewish Film Festival, um, we didn't know it, but, uh, uh, George, Jerry Stiller was in the audience oh, well. and he got up afterwards and he was like in tears because he said when he and his wife and Mira were starting out, they were considered this mixed couple and they couldn't get booked at any of the Catholic resorts because she was Catholic, which was, you know, this foundational part of their act. But Cutchers always hired them, you know, and it was like such a meaningful thing. It really was like gave them their start. And when at a time when their marriage was considered really controversial.
0: This is photographer Marissa Scheinfeld again
4: you know, one one performer is in New York
6: and they hear about what's going on in the Catskills and you drive an hour and a half and you're there. And there's, you know, hundreds of people for you to entertain and a job to be had. You know, I've heard crazy stories. I, I was once told a story. It's one of my favorites. Um, this guy that I met at a book talk told me that him and his friends are on a way to the Raleigh, which is actually still open. It's an entirely orthodox like, from hotel, if you will. But they were on their way to the Raleigh, and they had heard the opener act had canceled. So everyone was really bummed out. And um, the fill-in band was a band that no one ever heard of called Led Zeppelin. (laughs) So they decided to not go see the show. The Borspelt was one of the places where not only Led Zeppelin, but, you know, like Rodney Dangerfield, before he was Rodney Dangerfield, I think his name was Jack Roy.
0: Uh, His birth name was actually Jacob Cohen, but his first stand-up pseudonym was indeed Jack Roy
6: you know, got laughed off stage and quit comedy for a decade and started selling um, aluminum siding for for buildings or houses. I don't even know. And, you know, there's so many stories of people honing their their chops there and and saying their worst jokes and being the opening act. And it's amazing how many of those people, like, graduated to television and, and to Hollywood. And that's where the Borscht Belt really became... Um, prominent in the American kind of popular culture consciousness.
1: Lots of changes, old Max, lots of changes. It's not the
2: changes so much this time, Tito. It's so it all seems to be ending. You think kids want to come with their parents take take foxtrot lessons? Trips to Europe, that's what the kids want. 22 countries in three days. Feels like it's all slipping away.
3: You might recognize that bit of slightly-on-the-nose dialogue from Dirty Dancing, the best movie ever made about the Catskills, Jews, class, abortion, and Patrick Swayze's biceps. And yes, dancing.
0: The Catskills Institute's website lists 1,172 hotels and 849 bungalow colonies, many of which were owned and frequented by Jews especially Ashkenazi immigrants and their children and grandchildren.
3: By the 1950s, approximately a half million people were visiting each summer. By the late 60s, things began to change.
0: Jews, in many ways, were the victims of their own success in the Catskills. Here's
1: Eddie Portnoy. Beginning in the, let's say, the mid-60s, uh, early mid-60s, the Catskills began to, began to die out as a, as a destination, as Jews began, you know, to go to Miami, they went out west. Um, they just began to go different places. The hotel, what's interesting is the hotels themselves, um, you know, which started, which all started out as farms and little, you know, and little houses developed into huge resorts. So places like Kutcher's and Grossinger's, um, you know, had, you know, huge pools and tennis courts and golf courses, and, and they became really, you know, significant resorts, um, And eventually they were abandoned. And there was recently um, a photo exhibit of these kind of um, of these resorts, uh, you know, these abandoned resorts with, you know, moss growing all over them and, you know, having fallen apart.
3: The photo exhibit Eddie's talking about came from Marissa Sheinfeld's book, The Borscht Belt, revisiting the remains of America's Jewish vacation land.
0: The photos are beautiful and haunting, and you should definitely check out the book. Great Hanukkah present. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's Marissa.
6: The book is really, um, it's very time sensitive, I think, because when I look through it now, a lot of the places that I photographed are leveled. And when I say leveled, there's not even like a trace or a foundation left um, from maybe the ruin that it was, you know, a year or two ago.
0: And so why the demise?
6: Some say it was the boom of the airline industry, where now you can fly in a plane to, you know, Paris or Israel or the Caribbean, and and see the world. Others like to say it was the cruise industry, um, which also kind of boomed in the 1970s when the bourse belt was on its decline. Where you can see, you know, five countries in four days. Others like to say it was the proliferation and the growth of the suburbs, where no longer were people in the lower east side and living in Manhattan and needing to escape the crowded, like humid, disgusting quality of the air that happens around this time of year in New York City. Um, And um, they were now in the suburbs where they had lawns and, and space and they didn't need to go up to the Catskills. Some people say it was the changing role of women you know, mostly the story was was that women um, were kind of seated up in the Catskills waiting all summer for their husbands to come up on the weekend. And in the nineteen sixties there was a sort of women's lib, civil rights, sexual revolution. There was a lot of things going on then. The world really started to tilt and shift in ways that it hadn't previously. And I think the Catskills also really, you know, didn't compete with the changing times. They had the st- the same shtick if you you will. The um, amenities really stayed the same. You know, if you look at my book, they're largely architectural photographs, and the style is very mid-century. So I think it got old, and it fell out of vogue. There was also, in 1965, the Anti-Discrimination Act that President Johnson signed, and I think that also um, segued into Jews' being able to, you know, go where they wanted to go. And um, in the book, there's three essays, one that I wrote, but one specifically by Jenna Weissman-Joselet, who breaks apart the history and also the photographs in such a lovely way. But, you know, she writes something along the lines about, you know, Jews left the Catskills on their own volition. No, quote, external forces push them out, you know, so on one hand, they started going to the Borscht Belt because they weren't allowed to go other places, but now, you know, they're allowed to go, and, and they just kind of leave, and they never return. You know, I had someone once ask me um, recently, and they said, you know, was it our fault? And I said, you know, it kind of was. You know, ours being you know the the uh, the American Jewish community, which I am a part of. You know, Jews love to moan the passing of the Borscht Belt and whine about it. Really, whine about it. We, and, we like um, we just
0: like whining in general. <laughs> yeah, we
6: do. We love to kvetch. I yeah. mean, kvetching. You know, yeah. is now like an English word, not even just a Yiddish word. But <laughs> you know, they uh, we love to just be like, oh my god, look what it's become. Like, what a shame. But you know, it, a lot of you know, the big issue is kind of turning back on ourselves as individuals or collective group and saying like, wow, did it become like this because of us? You know, and um, in some ways, in many ways, I think I think it's, it's a harsh truth.
4: I don't know if it's necessarily tragic.
0: This is Caroline Lasko again, one of the directors of Welcome to Kutcher's.
4: Because a, a big part of the trajectory of Cutcher's is like the Jewish immigrant experience, right? So it's like, you know, you come here and you're poor and you can only have this little house up in the Catskills and then you, and you can't stay anywhere else, you know? So throughout the mid century, like Ian said, um, mo- many fancy resorts just weren't open to Jews and that was really the heyday of, of the Borscht Belt in total. And so, you know, Cutcher's closing is, In some ways it was inevitable.
5: Not only um, is the history of the Capitol Resorts interesting to us, but we think it really is this microcosm of the American uh, modern Jewish experience from, from anti-Semitism to um, cultural um, epiphany to sort of Jews being so assimilated that they can go to Europe or Florida where they have a permanent vacation or, or wherever they want. Um, it sort of outgrew um, its very necessary uses.
2: 89 year old man marries an 87 year old woman. On their wedding night, she calls down and says, Sam, would you like to come upstairs and make love? He said, Sylvia, I
3: can't do both. <laughs> It seems like anti-Semitism led to Jews vacationing uh, on their own. Yeah, they were sort of
0: in their own kind of isolated, segregated world. Yeah,
3: and as they became more successful and more assimilated into American culture, that became less necessary. Yeah,
0: but you have to wonder, I mean, would we have American comedy as we know it now if that hadn't happened? I mean, if, if Jews hadn't been forced to sort of create their own world of vacationing and and entertainment and and you know all starting from these these kind of porch side mock weddings to you know mel brooks jumping into a pool with a you know fully clothed yeah i
3: mean you could probably ask the same question about a lot of music that came up out of the american south too it's like segregation or whether it was forced or uh or social led to some kind of amazing things, too, I guess.
1: So what
0: you're saying is that, in a way, there's an upside to to racism. No,
3: it's so awful. No, I'm just saying that when you, you know, when you're stuck in a concentrated situation, that sometimes there's some great things that come from that. Exactly. I do think, though, um, it makes me a little sad to think that um, society has become that fractured. Because by the time... You know, we're talking about sort of middle class Jews going to, or lower middle and middle class Jews going to these kinds of places. And I feel like by the time we came along, you know, our generation, that kind of thing didn't exist anymore. And so, in a way, the community becomes fractured. Yeah. But I think it sounds like people are starting to rediscover these things too, which is nice. Yeah. But I'm not going.
0: The bugs alone, forget about
3: it. So now we've got a question for you. Did you spend time in the Catskills?
0: Did you see any amazing comedians?
3: Or perhaps Will Chamberlain playing hoops?
0: Or maybe you saw Led Zeppelin play the Catskills, and if so, I need to know about it. They did? Yeah, that's, it's in this episode.
3: <laughs> wow, I should listen. Led
0: Zeppelin played the Catskills. Um, Although, I, you know, I Googled that, and I didn't find much. So who
3: said so? It's
0: one of our guests, I can't remember. These people. I know.
3: Where do we get them? Uh, we'd love to hear your stories of your time in the Catskills, so email us at Pod.
0: K-I-B-I-T-Z-P-O-D
3: at gmail.com and we'll read your story on a future episode. Are we really going to read all these stories?
0: What do you mean? Oh, are we going to read them? Not all of them. We'll read the good ones. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, send
3: us a good story. (laughs) Send us a good story. To (laughs) kibitzpod at gmail.com. No one wants to hear your boring stories. No, nobody. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kibbits. Thanks to our guests, Eddie Portnoy, Ian Rosenberg, and Caroline Laskow. And thanks to them for giving us permission to use clips from their great documentary, Welcome to Kutcher's. It's available on Amazon, iTunes, and on their website, kutcher'sdoc.com. K-U-T-S-H-E-R-S-D-O-C.com also thanks to marissa scheinfeld her book the borscht belt revisiting the remains of america's jewish vacation land is available where books are sold and at her website borschtbeltrevisited.com for more about all of these guests and links to their stuff please check out our website at kibitzpod.com if you like the episode please review us on itunes tell your friends if you put it up on social media no one's going to complain.
0: No, I will definitely not complain. I will. We
3: might even I, say. We huh, might even say thanks. Awfully nice of you. Yeah,
0: very kind. Uh, this episode was produced and edited by me, Dan Crane. Special thanks to my co-host Jessica Chaffin, as well as Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, David Jargowski, Francine Hermelin, and Reboot. Our music is courtesy of Ray and Remora, and our main theme is courtesy of Noonam Plu. And as my great grandmother used to say. That's the way it is in a small town with a large population. Thanks for listening to the Kibitz. If you like this episode and want to keep hearing more from the Kibitz, please consider making a charitable, tax-deductible donation to Reboot, the Jewish nonprofit organization behind the Kibitz at rally.org/slash reboot. That's rally.org slash reboot. Thanks.